1 Corinthians chapter 7. We made our way through verse number 16 last week. We're going to pick up in verse number 17 tonight. Now, it's a unique passage of Scripture. If you weren't with us last week, it would do you well to reread through verses 1 through 16 because that is for sure the context of what we're dealing with tonight. Now, I'm able to apply it um, outside of that context, which is good, but it's still good for you to have information in regards to what we covered that last time. Now, tonight, in verses 17 through 24, we're going to just be around this idea that Paul is saying to the church in Corinth, in regards to all of these things, or maybe even in some instances, in spite of these things, like finish your task or complete your assignment. And we'll get more into what he means from that as we go. So let's begin reading in verse number 17. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 17, this is God's word. But as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called every one, so let him walk, and so ordain I in all churches. Is any man being... Is any man called being circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Is any man called in uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing but the keeping of the commandments of God. Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Art thou called being a servant? Care not for it. But if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. For he that is called in the Lord being a servant is the Lord's free man. Likewise, also he that is called being free is Christ's servant. You are bought with a price. Be ye not the servants of men. Brethren, let every man wherein he is called, therein abide with God. All right, let's pray. Thank you for your word, Father. Thank you for this time in your word. We ask for clarity of mind. We pray that you would guide us, that we can grow as we feed on your word. Let your Holy Spirit illuminate it to us and speak to us through it. Show us what you have for us here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So back in the rest of chapter 7, we have in our minds here celibacy, marriage, and divorce. These are the three big topics that we covered leading into this. And now Paul writes some additional thoughts for clarification. These thoughts were to address some discontent in the church there. Those who are previously pagan and now converted Christians, some of them wanted to change some things that they had previously in their life, and, and now they'd gone into Christianity. Now, we can sort of get our minds there because how many of us, was anybody here not pagan prior to your conversion? No, that's everybody, right? That's like saying, raise your hand if you're not here. Well, that person's never going to raise their hand. That's how I used to do it as a youth pastor. Bus driver, we'd be heading to go bowling with all the kids, and the bus driver would say, you need to make sure everybody's on this bus. And I'd say, all right, raise your hand if you're not here. And I'd tell the bus driver, nobody raise their hand, we're good to go. And he'd thump me in the head, because it was my dad. Dad was the bus driver, and I was too young to actually be the youth pastor, so as the youth pastor, I always had to have a chaperone. So just put you in mind where that goes. I was the learning license guy there. But all want to be a little different in their conversion. So we can kind of get there, but, but, but I want you to understand that culture's a little different. If you remember when we introduced 1 Corinthians, Played that little video for you guys. It's a different world than what we're living in. Now, same sin, right? Same sinners, same God, same... So the Bible's still relevant. But, but these guys were dealing with some specific things, and that's what Paul is writing in regards to there. So some married, very happily married, 
And then Jesus moves into one of their lives and the spouse is unmarried and this devoted Christian person is saying, I just assume not be married or not be married to this person. And Paul's having to write and deal with this and say, well, no, that's not good. In fact, if you remember, he said in verse 16 from last time, he said, what knowest thou, old wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or what knowest thou, old man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? And then maybe some were saying, well, before Jesus, I was happily married. But now that I, I'm in, in this relationship with Jesus, that's all I want from life. So I don't want my spouse anymore. And Paul is having to write here and say, well, you need to keep things like they are. God knew where you were and how you were when he called you to salvation. So no need to go trying to change your estate. This is where he called you. This is where he's left you. So this is where he wants you to serve. And he wants you to serve from this instance. So we're going to dig around in that a little bit tonight. Some other examples that Paul uses here in this context is some of you are slaves and you were saved and now you want to be free. Well, you wanted to be free before that. But this is no time to begin disobeying your master or being running away from even that responsibility God's put you in. And that's a little touchy-feely. But, but we'll get into some more of that too as we go. As you lead on into the book of Corinthians, there were some that Paul has the right to here and they wanted to use this freedom they have in Christ to rationalize sinning. All things are lawful for me. Let sin so grace may abound. And so all of those are examples of what Paul is saying here as he writes to the Corinthians to remain and to be content where God has them when he converted them. So I'll give you three headings on that tonight. Be content, be yourself, and be there. Now, some of you who are free spirits, when I said be content being yourself and being there, you're like, woohoo, that's how I want to be. Some of you who are not free spirits, you're structured, you say, no, we don't need to be ourselves, we need to change, we've got to be different all the time, we've got checklists for these type of things. I think I can appease you both or the word can, as we cover it tonight. So begin in verse 17, be content. But as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called every one, so let him walk. And so ordain I in all churches. So here Paul writes that each of us should lead the life that God has called us in. There's a set of circumstances that each of us finds ourselves in. Paul is saying here, God has assigned this as your place of service. Now notice this, verse 17, but as God hath distributed. So the, the word distributed there in the Greek is M-E-R-I-Z-O, Marizo. The, the word is distributed, meaning to deal out, to apportion, to give out as one's share. So Paul is saying here, God has given you this place as your share. God has you here for a reason, so complete your assignment in this place and when we say place, I don't necessarily mean physical location. I just mean this place in life. Be content there. In verse 17, the wording is walk there. Verse 20, the wording is abide there. Verse 24, as he sort of completes that thought and moves on to something else, the wording is remain there. Notice this, verse 17. But as God has distributed, as he has sort of given out your assignments, Issued you your orders, right? We're in the army of the Lord. He's, he's handed down your authority or your, your orders with his authority to every man. As the Lord hath called everyone, so let him walk. So walk there. Verse 20. Let every man abide in the same calling where he is called. Abide 
there. Verse 24, the word abide is again there, but it's using a different tense. Brethren, let every man wherein he is called therein abide with God. So remain there. Swindoll interpreted it this way. Get the most out of your lot in life. I like that. You see, our carnal nature, and in some, to some extent, even our born-again nature, has this strong desire to be always moving forward to, to some other lot in life. More so, our carnal nature struggles with contentment. So we're always wanting a better this or that, or more of this or that, or a different this or that. Then our born-again nature sort of takes that old discontentment of the the human nature and and it becomes sort of a good mechanism in the Christian life. I'm not content being the Christian that I was at 11 years old when I was first saved. Then I'm not content being the Christian that I was when I was 15 years old when I first began to preach. Then I wasn't content being the Christian that I was at 19 when I first got married. And then at 22 when I had my first child. And then all throughout life, we're always pushing forward to be growing in the faith. Now that is not a problem. That is not what Paul is addressing here. But what he is saying here is, you've been saved to the the Corinthians. You've been saved and you're in these situations. And the report I'm hearing back from you is, I don't like where I'm at. I don't like that I'm single and I want to be married. I don't like that I'm saved and my spouse is not saved. I don't like that I'm saved and I'm still somebody's servant. And surely we would never apply this verse to mean that one should not change their status should opportunity arise. In fact, he's going to go on in verse number 21 and say, if you are a servant who can be free, by all means, get free. Art thou being called a servant and care not for it? But if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. If, the, if you're a servant who can be free, be free. If your spouse is unsaved, Of course, you would jump at the opportunity for them to embrace this faith that is transforming your life. If the celibate life is not for you and God sends a spouse, well, then for sure get married. But when the situation cannot be changed or is not right now being changed, be content in your salvation nonetheless. This is what Paul is saying. As God has distributed to every man Assigned you your place, given you your task. He's put you here, he's charged you there. As he's called you, so walk there. Pratt comments here his general rule was Christians should remain as they are in relationships and service unless God assigns them new tasks. McDonald puts it this way. If he has called one to marry life, then he should follow this in the fear of the Lord. If God has given grace to live a celibate life, then a man should follow that calling. In addition, if at, at the time of a person's conversion, he is married to an unsaved wife, then he need not overturn this relationship, but should continue to the best of his ability to seek the salvation of his wife. And some of you are right there in the midst of those exact situations. Some of you are not, never have been, never will be. So for some of you, you can directly interpret and apply this. And then others of you, you're going to have to interpret it, understand these contextual applications, and then apply it in your life in other areas. Now, Paul's last statement there in verse 17 is, and so ordain I in all churches. That's just him saying, 
I give this same answer everywhere. This is specific information just for the Corinthian church. This is for all the churches. The, the call to conversion radically changed your life. It need not change your physical relationships that are not sinful. See, that, that kind of became the solution. Jesus is so transforming my spiritual life that I want to radically change my physical life to match it. And in this regard, Paul says, this is not what you need to be doing. In fact, where you are in your physical life, that's where I want you to walk. So be content where you are. Secondly, be yourself. Verse 18 and 19. Is any man called being circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Is any called an uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Now, we understand uh, this old, old covenant practice and, and the illustration Paul is using from it there. It's illustrative for us now. It was very practical for some. Then uh, there were even reports, not biblical reports, but secular reports that we have handed down through church history of those seeking surgery in this regard because they felt like I've got to do everything I can, even physical things to my body, to be more holy. Man, you got to you got to applaud them on their uh, diligence to be, to be holy. And Paul's having to write to them here and say, no, just be you. Were you this way when God called you? Well, this is how you are now. Now, when I say be yourself, I mean surely be your new self. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. MacArthur clarifies from these verses, he says, figuratively, the idea is that when a Jew became a Jew, he was not to give up his racial and cultural identity in order to appear like a Gentile. Likewise, a Gentile was not to become culturally like a Jew. So that's the understanding. Now, for you and I, there's no call to stop being a, a, an American because you became a Christian. In fact, for most of you in your, in your lifetime, it's been one and the same. It's been, boy, I'm, I'm an American and this is a Christian nation and it was a Christian community that I grew up in and everybody went to church and everybody went to Sunday school. So it was just kind of the natural ebb and flow of things. In fact, I would have sort of had to rebel against Christianity, culture, family, even Americanism to not be a Christian. So it's sort of a different situation for us now. You've heard me tell the story of Shanae and I doing some mission work in Mexico and we'd spend our days out in, in common places, neighborhoods, markets, witnessing, inviting people to these nightly services. And then they'd come at night. And the ones who had been pricked by the Holy Spirit to convert during the day would come to the worship that night to be saved and to be baptized. And they'd carry all of their belongings with them. The Catholicism was so strong there that to leave, to, to embrace true Christianity they had to leave home because their families wouldn't have them anymore. We haven't had to, as far as I know, maybe you particularly did, but as a whole, we're not having to deal with that. In fact, we have the opposite of this. The preacher said, the Bible says, just be myself. Well, if yourself prior to conversion was a thief, that was sinful before you got saved, it's still sinful after you got saved, don't be yourself. In fact, if you could be comfortable being yourself, then you've never been saved. If yourself prior to conversion was a liar, 
That was sinful. Even once you're converted, that's still sinful. And if you can be comfortable just being a liar, well, then you've never been converted. So my be yourself admonition here is not continue walking in your sinful behaviors. But often because we can't outwardly do something to make us feel like we're more like Christ, we begin to feel like we have to sort of change ourselves. And you see that in all different ways, even here in America. I was coming through Dixon yesterday and I saw a 15 passenger van and I saw some people get out of the 15 passenger van and the way they acted and the way they dressed. I knew exactly what um, portion of our population that they were from. Like I would guess there were some, some version of Mennonite. That, that would be my guess just, just by looking at them. It was quick and I drove by. I could be wrong. But that would be what I gathered from that. Well, well, why are the Mennonites the way that the Mennonites are? And, I, and I'm not picking on the Mennonites. I'm not saying that they're completely wrong. I'm not saying that you who don't act like that or live that life are completely right. Let's say that for another time. The point simply being here, Paul was saying to the Corinthians, you have this good desire in you. You want to be different because you've been made different. But, but let the difference happen internal, internally way more than you let it happen externally. In fact, you are going too far externally, so don't do this. Just be your new self. I love that he uses the word calling as he goes through this. Verse 17, as the Lord called everyone, so let him walk. Verse 18, he called you this way, be this way. And he uses circumcision, uncircumcision. Now, that calling is the effectual call. You can study in Romans chapter 8. The same word that he uses there, he elaborates more. Um, he gets into God's foreknowledge, God's election, these types of things. So Paul is just saying to the Corinthians here, how were you when God called you? And, and that's a rhetorical question. He just wants to bring a thought to mind to, to bring in this second thought, which is, there is no need to reverse such things that were in place when God effectually called us to conversion. Specifically, he says here, if you were a circumcised Jew, you don't need to have this reversed. And on the opposite end of that spectrum, you Gentiles do not need to become like the Jews in this regard for your faith. And, and the Judaizers were pushing this. The Judaizers were saying, okay, fine, Gentiles are in, but they got to be like us. Well, no, they don't have to be like us. They have to be like Christ. And this is dealt with heavily throughout the New Testament. MacArthur says, Cultural, culture, social order, and external ceremony have no bearing on spiritual life. What matters is faith and obedience. We need to hear that, church. Culture has no bearing on spiritual life. Social order has no bearing on spiritual life. External ceremony has no bearing on spiritual life. What has bearing on spiritual life? Faith and obedience. But a large percentage of us in here tonight, a large percentage of you in here Sunday morning, because the Holy Spirit kind of let me go here a little bit Sunday morning, you, you really struggle with these very things. Well, no, I don't think this is right, you would say to yourself, because... In our culture, this is, not, this is frowned upon. In our social order, this is frowned upon. Given the external ceremony that we're used to and we're, we're given to, this should be frowned upon. 
Well, is this a person of faith? And are they being obedient to the scriptures? It, it can really be that simple. And if you can't say they're wrong, given their faith and their obedience to the scriptures, I don't give two cents for your culture or your social order or your external ceremony. Now, does that mean that I don't like a certain culture? Not at all. I love a certain culture. I'm as human as the rest of us. But when we start taking our social order or the culture, or even as the church likes to do, this external ceremony to the extreme and saying, if it didn't happen this way, then it doesn't count. Or if you're not doing this way, you must be in sin, then we've missed the mark. We've just become new Judaizers. We're treating all the rest of the world like Gentiles. And we're saying we're God's people because we're the church. And anybody who doesn't do it just like us is not right. And we're the only ones who are right. That's not right. And that can't be so. What should be our basis? Faith and obedience are two very good bases. Verse 19, Paul follows this thought up with what's more important? He answers that with being obedient to God. Verse 19, he says, Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but the keeping of the commandments of God. Hold your place here and go with me to Romans chapter 2. Be content, be yourself. Romans chapter 2, verse 25. For circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter of circumcision doth transgress the law? For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men but of God. Now, you can get lost in Paul's wording there. But generally what he's saying is a whole bunch of you outwardly are this. You outwardly would show yourself, let's just say Jewish. Inwardly, you're not. You have this outer show that you're not lining up with inwardly. You're putting on the airs of one of God's children because you can look the part. But actually, inwardly, you're not. He doesn't know you. Then he takes that a step further and he says, but there are those who outwardly would not show themselves as one of God's children, but inwardly they are. And then he takes it another step further and says, and those who are actually obeying the commands of God, which makes them God's children, even though outwardly they wouldn't be seen as one of God's children, they now become the judge of you who say outwardly, no, we're God's children because inwardly you're not obeying God. So what does he make the highest standard? Obey God. Well, how are you and I to keep that? Read the word, do the word. Read what it says and obey what it says. And then none of us read fast enough to always be up on all of the word. So that's where iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. I'm going to be reading one place, you're going to be reading in another place. I'm going to be telling you some things that God's working over on me. You're going to be telling me some things that God's working over on you. And we're both going to be growing from that outpouring of our individual study. And then we come to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Sunday school, 
We go to Bible studies, all of these things. It kind of adds to that and, and sort of stimulates that growth that we need to have there. So much easier, though, to say, no, 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 no. <laughs> I do this, that, and the other, and I'm good. In our, my upbringing, it was, you know, came to church on Sunday morning. And I'm not saying this is right. I'm saying this was the, this was the mentality. Came to church on Sunday morning looking like the world and obviously lost. Walked down, got saved, and showed back up on Sunday night looking like the church. Now you can let your mind run wild on what all that involved. Haircuts, different clothes, all of these kinds of things. Crazy. Absolute crazy. Now I'm thankful I had a preacher who was very much a part of that situation, but but realized the pitfalls of it and would, would show a whole lot of liberty and grace to reach a soul. It was a wonderful thing. He always would tell this story. I don't remember the man's name, but he would always tell the story about the man coming in with this, I don't even remember how many gallon hat. Do you remember how many gallon hat it was, Aunt Rodon? I think he always said a 10 gallon hat. 10 gallon hat. Is that a real thing, you cowboys in here? A 10 gallon hat? And he said the guy had, you know, long hair and a long beard and his 10-gallon hat. And he came into church and he was mad already from the get-go. And the preacher went by to shake his hand and meet him. And he said, I ain't taking my hat off for nobody. <laughs> and the preacher said, that's all right. You can leave your hat on for all I care. And he said, I ain't going to shave for nobody either. <laughs> and the preacher said, well, around here, we'd rather see you saved than shaved. <laughs> and he said it wasn't very long before that brother got saved and the Lord began to work on his heart. But if we're not careful, we like to clean the fish before we ever catch the fish, right? That's not possible. What an odd thing that would be. If you went down to the pond in the morning, you saw me down there, I'm wading in the lake, I've got my hands under there, you're seeing blood go everywhere, and I'm working away just as happy as could be. Well, what are you doing? I'm fishing. It looks like you're killing something. Oh, no, I'm not killing anything. Well, what are you doing? You don't have a fishing pole or anything. I'm cleaning this fish. Oh, you caught it, and you're going to, well, I haven't caught it yet. But I'm going to clean it first because I don't want to catch a fish that's not filleted and ready to eat. That's backwards. And this is in our world. Now, please don't misunderstand me. Theologically, I'd be completely wrong if I told you. That's what Paul means in 1 Corinthians 7. Now, this is an application based off what Paul means for only us now. This would apply to us in, in a Baptist church in the South in 2022 based off what he's teaching in 1 Corinthians 7. So, verse 19, what is more important? It's being obedient to God. And remember, he says here in verse 19, well, and we should remember based off what he's saying in verse 19, circumcision is, an, is, is easy to use for illustration. You, you don't need to start a, a thesis on the good, the bad, the ugly of circumcision in the Bible. It just, it was a thing that was put under the old covenant and became an easy illustration in, under, in, in, even in the new covenant. But we apply it just the same way with other things. And in this context, one of those things would be marriage. I'll quote you some, some other theologians here. Pratt says, by comparing marriage and circumcision, Paul indicated that marital status was insignificant for a person standing before God within the church, just as believers should not change the status of their circumcision to gain approval before God or man. They should not change their marital status for these reasons. McDonald says the relationships of life 
need not be violently forsaken by the entrance of Christianity. And, and, and you need to take what McDonald, McDonald's saying there is, is in context. I pulled out one sentence there that now that I've read it aloud to you, I realize could be mistaken, especially if you're a, a, a person with teenagers in your house. When he says the relationships of life need not be violently forsaken for the interest of Christianity, well, there's some relationships that need to be. If you're hanging out with liars and you get saved, you're not going to be able to hang out with liars anymore, right? Those relationships. But what relationships has he been dealing with in context here? Are you, are you married or unmarried? Are you divorced? Have you been divorced and remarried? All, all of these things. Your spouse saved, unsaved. Are you going to live celibate the rest of your life or are you going to try to get married? All of those things. So Paul is writing to the Corinthians and saying, hey, you've been saved. Now be content where you are and be yourself where you are. You don't have to be embarrassed down at the church if you're a spouse who's, who, if you're a husband or a wife whose spouse is unsaved. In fact, you should be cared for extra at the church if you're in that regard because that's part of the deal here. Uh, Kelly, another theologian, takes this thought a, a bit further. He says, rather by the Christian faith, the believer is raised to a position where he is superior to all other circumstances. And that's exactly right. Well, I've been circumcised or I have not or whatever. Whatever religious standard you want to put under this given covenant things, well, in your Christian faith, you're, you're elevated to the top. I'm in Christ and Christ is in me. You're at the very top there. All right. The final thing we get from verse 20 down through 24 is just to be there. So be content, be yourself, and be there. Jim Elliott is probably, he's famously quoted another area, but here would be probably his second most famous quote is wherever you are, be all there. The rest of that quote is one of his is favorite wording of mine. And it's usually left off because it's so nice to be able to just say, wherever you are, be all there. He goes on to say, live to the hilt every situation you believe to be the will of God. If you, have, if you don't know this story, this is not going to be a good illustration for you, but I felt like I should illustrate for you what living to the hilt means. And it's probably give Brother Hartzer a microphone and just let him tell the story. But you remember the story when he first took Miss Belinda on a date. How many of you heard that story? What kind of car were you driving? Yeah. And back then you got a bounty if you collected what sort of an animal? Coyote. Just its ears or something, right? So young man that, you know, took all of his money for this car and the gas is my assumption in the story there taking this new girl out on this date. And in his culture, this was a completely normal thing. And hers, it wasn't. My culture, it wasn't. Oh, just got, oh, I'm going to get, already committed to marry him. And he sees a coyote in the road and says, what? <laughs> I always love hearing you tell that part. And floored it and ran over this coyote and got out and got what he needed, threw it in the trunk, hopped back in and said, woohoo. <laughs> When I think about Jim Elliott saying, live to the hilt every situation, I think of Brother Hartzer here getting his coyote. You know, just let's go for it. I hope you're living your life that way. I mean, you don't have to be killing coyotes. Now, you Hickman County people, you do your own thing. <laughs> but the, I'm, I'm, I'm giving Hickman County jokes by instruction. I had given them up. I repented to the Lord and to the Hickman County people. Some of the residents of Hickman County came to me and said, we like the Hickman County jokes. Yeah. Was, all right, see, there we go. All right. So they're back. 
I would love to bring back the D Department of Motor Vehicles jokes, but I haven't been given permission on that one yet. So, <laughs> yes, we got to. They're they're nuisances. So in that instance, I think about Brother Hartzer just flooring it and getting this coyote. Living that's living to the hilt. Go all out. Go all in. Give your give your all. Jim Elliott, wherever you are, be all there. You see, it's easy, and, and that's in the context of this passage tonight, to always be thinking of somewhere else and something else and about other things. And you're you're all your life trying to get the next thing, you know, the the, the raise, the promotion at work, the next house, uh, the next car, the next vacation, the next toy, whatever it is. It's, it's a funny thing in life. I, I look at where I'm at versus when, like, my wife and I first married. I remember when I was first married, I went to the pastor. He was my boss and the pastor. And I said, I was kind of trying to get a raise out of him. But, but I said, man, I, it's hard to, to, to make ends meet on, with this amount of money. I didn't know marriage was going to be this difficult. And, you know, I was young and learning. And he said, well, there's two things you'll learn in life. He said, one is the older you get, you'll naturally just make more money which has kind of been the thing. You, you, you can take on more responsibilities. People trust you a little more. Inflation, <laughs> the price of things just go up so more money comes in. But he said, here's the problem. If you don't learn how to handle the money you've got now, the more money's not your solution. It's being able to spend the money right that you do have if you've got more or less. And I've lived to see that be the case. But it's easy to always be after the next thing. Paul's ending thoughts here are... Be content, be yourself, and be there. Remain with God, he says in verse 20, in that state in which you were called. Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Now he's dealing with some hard illustrations here. He says, some of you are slaves. And I'm telling you, be content there. That's hard to tell a slave. You and I have that much easier. We're, we're free, we live in America, we have good stuff in our lives. And so for me to say this to you is just kind of a, you know, don't be covetous, be content, and, and, and go after whatever you feel like God's will to be. But Paul writes to these Corinthians, some with unsaved spouses, some married who think, gosh, I wish I were like Paul. And he said, it'd be better if I was like him. And he says to them, wherever you are, be there. Remain with God in that state in which you were called. Now this, of course, only refers to callings that are not in and of themselves sinful. Paul is dealing with things that are not wrong in themselves, which we see in the next few verses. Verse 21, he gives an illustration. Art, art thou being a called being a servant? Care not for it, but if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. Now, our culture would lead us to believe that anyone who's a slave would not care for it, but we biblically don't find this to be the case. In fact, there's an Old Testament practice that I'm sure you're familiar with. If you were a slave and you loved your master and you felt like your master loved you, you could give yourself over indefinitely. The rest of your life, you'd say, you're, you're a good master and I want... It's a picture of salvation for you and I now. And they had this practice of running a, a piece of metal through the year there. And it was a mark that I was a slave, but my master loved me and I loved my master. And it was the slave's way of saying, my life's better with him as my master than it would ever be with me on my own. Now, that, is that a type of Christianity or what? I'd rather be a slave of Jesus than Chance Strickland's free man. Because really, in reality, what's, what is Chance Strickland's free man? Devil's slave. World's slave. Flesh's slave. So it's a wonderful thing. So don't be so 
veered by our culture. I'm not advocating for slavery here, but there are instances where we do find servants who say, I'm very content and very happy here. But Paul says, if you're not there, maybe you have a bad master. If you can be made free, he says, use it rather. So what is he saying here? Should a slave rebel against his owner and demand his freedom? You've been saved. You have a new life now. Should you institute that in your relationship with your master? Does Christianity insist that you and I go around seeking our rights? Well, I'm entitled to this. I have a right for this. This is not right. I'm being done wrong. Should we go around like this? And Paul gives the answer here. He says, were you called while a slave? Then don't be concerned about it. Trust God with your estate. He called you for salvation from there. Every other good thing he intends in your life, he's going to give you from there or he'll move you from there. You stressing yourself about the there is going to have you missing the point of actually doing what he wants you to do while you're there. Wherever you are, just be there. Live to enjoy the highest blessings of Christianity. In this instance, as a slave, just as you would as if you were free. And he goes on to say, if you can become free, by all means do so. But always keeping this in mind, verse 22. For he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's free man. Likewise, also he that is called being free is Christ's servant. If a man was a slave at the time of his conversion, he should not let that worry him because he is now the Lord's freed man. He's been set free from his sins. He's been set free from the bondage of Satan. On the other hand, if a man were free at the time of his conversion, he should realize that from now on he is a slave. He's bound hand and foot to the Savior. And, and though we don't deal with this particularly, and there are some rare instances in our culture, but mostly we don't deal with this anymore, you could see where this could lead to some poor theology and some very poor practice if you misunderstood this. If you said to yourself, well, I was free before I got saved and I'm going to be free after I got saved. Actually, we do deal with that. One of the biggest crutches in the American church is American entitlement. We're so entitled to so many things as American citizens that we sort of sometimes shake our fist at God and, and feel like we're just as entitled before Him. That's not salvation. What does he say in verse 23? Look at it there. Underline it in your Bible three times. You are bought with a price. That's Christianity. Now, boy, what a master. I mean, if you were down at the slave auction, you came out all right on that day because Jesus Christ paid the price for you. But if you're walking around saying, I'm free as an American, I'm free as a Southerner, and I'm free in Christ, well, you do have Christian liberty, but you're only free because Jesus is your master. It's a wonderful thing. But every Christian has been bought with a price. He belongs to the one who bought him, the Lord Jesus. So what are we to do? We're not to be the servants of men. We're to be Christ's bond slaves instead. And then verse 24, he addresses them as brothers again. Brethren, let every man wherein he is called therein abide with God. So Paul reminds him here in, in, in brotherly love, Christian love, to remain in the position from which he's been called. He adds that Christians must live as responsible to God. Pratt says these words draw attention to the fact that one can know when to change his or her situation only if he or she depends on God. 
So Paul encourages the Corinthians here. Finish your assignment. Complete your task. God has handed down your orders. In the estate that you're in. Married to an unsaved spouse. Single and wishing to get married. A slave who wants to be free or or a free man who shouldn't be anybody's slave. Wherever you find yourself. And those are the instances he gives and we can make up our own. But nevertheless, he says, in spite of these things, there's not radical physical change needed to carry out your orders. God knew where you were when he gave you these orders. When he called you to salvation, which was also a calling to service, he intends you to complete the task without this outward physical change. But how many of us are going through our lives thinking, I'd like to do this and someday I will. Some of you who are older in here could probably testify to this if you want to. You may not want to. Brother Homer was open with us that he's a part of the retired old men. (laughs) Appreciate that. But there's wisdom that comes with age. And I bet some of you could testify to this. You can go through your whole life saying someday. And you get down to the end of life realizing that day will never come. It's today. There is no someday. You're never going to get your life just right to where you feel like you're in a relationship with the Lord to the right extent that you can worship Him. Now, He saved you. And then as His saved servant, you are to be worshiping Him. Now, here's the neat thing about worship. You start worshiping Him and you've been sinning, the Holy Spirit's going to pop that in your brain. You can be up here singing, standing on the promises. Woohoo, that's where I'm standing. And then the Holy Spirit's going to say, well, you weren't at three o'clock this afternoon when you did what you did. Now, is that God telling you to quit worshiping? No, that's, that's the Holy Spirit working in you, refining you. Lord, forgive me for that. It shouldn't have been that way. And I shouldn't have come to the worship gathering here acting like I wasn't that way. I should have made that right. You can put off being a soul winner. And say, well, boy, until I get my own life right, I got no right to tell anybody else they're going to hell. Well, then they're still going to go to hell. Really, the worst witness is a perfect one. It's the last thing most sinners need. Is this perfect Christian. Only some of you will get this reference. AC and Christy showing up to their front door. Don't know about that. I can tell you about it after church. It was part of a curriculum I grew up in in Christian school. There were AC and Christie. They were these clean-cut Christian little kids who knew all their character traits and taught them to you as you learned math. And there was Ronnie and Susie. They wore black and they were mean. And you didn't want to be Ronnie and Susie. And you wanted to be... Am I getting a witness here? Did you do some of this, Caleb? Yep. All right. Now, to, to, to the credit of the curriculum, I learned some great character traits. Now when I'm being lazy, I know it. But if we're not careful, we have this mentality of who am I to tell this person I think they're going to hell and to try to help them be saved? I just barely saved myself. Well, you know how you know you're the one? Because you're the one having this debate inside your own brain about whether you should or you shouldn't. That's the Holy Spirit saying, please, go tell them. Aren't you glad somebody came and told you? Were they perfect? Say, well, I don't know. I, I talked to the men for a minute. Men, we had this 
sort of mock humility that we carry around with us. I think internally we all think I could do that. <clears throat> but we sort of tote it around with these airs of, you know, if somebody else wants to do it, I'll let them do it. What do we mean by that? We mean, I'm afraid I'll mess up, so I don't want to embarrass myself. So I'm going to let somebody else take the lead on this. But I'm kind of there just in case if they ever need it. And I'll be sure to point out if they don't get it right, because I really know what I'm doing here. Does that line me up pretty good, babe? What should we do? We should say, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm not who I ought to be, but I'm for sure not who I used to be. And so with this as my lot in life, I'm going to give God my all. I'm going to live life to the hilt, spiritually speaking. Our worship, our witness, our walk, all of these things, if we're not careful, we're not completing our task because we're putting out these other illustrations here and saying, well, well maybe i got to do this first or maybe I should do that first. Paul writes to the Corinthians and says, no, just... Be there, be yourself, be content, and do the task. God has assigned it to you. What does that look like to 99% of us tonight? He has you in your home for that reason. He has you in that neighborhood for that reason. He has you in this church and in that job and with these people for this reason. These are the people he wants you to minister to and do a work with. So you have to do it. It's so easy in American Christianity to kind of to wander around. Man, I, I don't know. I, I can't think of all of you right now all at once. But the largest percentage of us in here tonight simply just need to focus in on our particular home. That's who we need to lead and minister to. It's where we need to soul win. It's where we need to teach Christian walk. Then, it's, then it moves over into work. And it's for sure a part of this, this worship assembly right here. Same for you ladies. What's your harvest field? If you've still got children in the home, that's it. That's who God has you there to disciple. And I know like we, we want to go after others and we, we look at our own home and say, well, we've pretty much got this down, but I see these people over here and they're, they're, just, they're just trapped by sin and I don't want this for them. Well, I'm not telling you to leave them be. But if we're not careful, we let the main thing be home and church while we're going after them and we lose sort of the home base. Are you finishing the task? Be very clear here that God has distributed to every man. He has, as He has called you, that's how you should walk. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time together in your word tonight. May we strive to finish the task. You've given us our orders. Oh, there's all of these scenarios and workarounds and things that could complicate the thing. Thank you for Paul's clear writing to the Corinthians to say, you don't need any big physical changes. You just need to be content where you are. You need to be who you are that God called you. And you need to be there and give it your all. Oh, Father, spiritually help us to go 
And in the things that we know to be your will, live life to the hilt. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.